Well, good morning and welcome to Cyprus Bible Church. It has uh, been quite a long time since we've uh, been together in this place. Of course, that hasn't limited God in any way. Uh, As Acts 17 says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Well, we are God's temple. Uh, His Spirit lives in each of us who belongs to Jesus, and we are His temple uh, individually when our trust is in Christ, and we are His temple gathered as a people where God dwells. So whether you are here in person this morning or have joined us via the Internet, we are the church of the living God bought with the precious blood of Jesus united by His Spirit. In the months uh, since we last gathered here in this building anyway, our our world seems to be even more chaotic. Troubling things have happened, more than I can begin to list. Injustice, unrest, anger, fear, pain, loss, events that uh, we cannot and should not ignore. Now how should we live? What should we do? Romans 8 says that as the people of God, we're, we're not to be controlled by our sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And Romans 8 says, if you belong to Christ, that Spirit lives in you. When you allow the Spirit to control you, it says there is life and peace. That's what we bring to the table in this world. The life and peace of the Spirit. That's what this world needs. And uh, God put us here to give that to this world by the power of the Spirit. So you are agents of life and peace because the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. That's great news. You were once dead in sin, Scripture says, but God has made you alive in Christ. So join me now and celebrate that very glorious day that that is true. Stand with me as we sing, please. It's good to get to worship together again. Let's sing these words. Here we go. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my too. Till I met I was breathing but not alive All my fears I tried to hide It was my team Till I met you You called my 
All right, sing it together. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. Kings break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. You called me a citizen of heaven. standing, I want to read together this passage from Romans 14. We're going to read verses 7 through 9 together. You'll find the words up on the screen, but let's read this passage. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Friends, God has called us unto himself. He has called us into this glorious day that we might bring honor and glory unto him. See, we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. Therefore, let us live our lives as a reflection of his glory. May our lives reflect his love. May our lives reflect his glory. And may it flow from deep within us to the world around us. May we love from the inside out. Oh, 
we thank you for your love, your mercy, your power that makes us stronger. We are stronger in you. There is love that came for us, humble to a sinner's cross. You broke my shame and sinfulness, rose again victorious faithfulness none can deny through the storm and through the fire there is truth that sets me free Jesus Christ Now proclaim this together. We are stronger. You are stronger. You are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. Christ is risen. Jesus, you are Lord of
be to the Lord. You guys can go ahead and take a seat for just a moment. Hey, CBC family. We are so excited and very thankful that this is the first Sunday that we get to meet all together under one roof. Um, and while we're not there, um, we're so thankful also for the gift of, thing, of technology um, that we can send y'all this video and also be able to participate in worship um, from across the country. So, not sure if you can tell, but uh, we're actually in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. That's what's behind us. Uh, while we're getting to enjoy being on vacation right now, uh, this time of quarantine was not always so relaxing for us, and it was often full of challenges. But through it all, uh, we've still seen God at work in our lives in so many ways. One thing that keeps coming into my mind is just God is sovereign, and He is in total control of everything that is going on around us. Um, that comes into play with our two kids that um, are both the at-risk population um, and just turning that over to the Lord. Um, also, uh, we wait on God's timing and knowing that it's in His time and not on our own. Um, God has got this and um, we're waiting on some diagnosis that we have no idea what's the road ahead for our son and so having an opportunity for that as well. Um, we also have had multiple family members um, on both of our sides of the family that have um, been in the hospital and um, so that's been another time where we've had to be like, okay, Lord, I'm giving this to you, like you've got this, but um, you know, it doesn't mean that there's not, it's challenging, but it's also um, freeing as well to let that go. And we've just seen how we can be at peace with everything that's going on. Um, God's peace just due to having our hope uh, being found in Jesus. Uh, we've also seen the abundance of God's provision in finances and in the freedom of our schedules as a result of everything. Um, while we're still blessed to both still have jobs and be working, um, shortly before this quarantine time we were actually just uh, blessed unexpectedly through some financial gifts um, and it was just so unexpected and such a blessing for us uh, and it's freed us up in a lot of ways. We've also been afforded some extra family time uh, due to working from home. Uh, this has allowed us to be very hands-on with both of our kids, with Abby with uh, teaching preschool and then with our son Eli doing um, some different therapies just a lot more hands-on than we were able to before. Um, and they've both, we've seen them both change so much during this time. Abby with learning lots of new things and Eli with progressing in, in some ways with um, some of his development stuff. Um, while we can't be there with you today, uh, we would like to pray now with you, our church family. So if you would. Uh, God, thank you so much for allowing us to share um, how you've been at work in our lives during this time with everyone. Um, we pray that we would just continue to live into everything that you've taught us during this time um, in, our in our lives and as well as our church family's lives. Um, we just pray that you help us to continue living into that as we see things start to get back to normal, that we would not forget what you've been teaching us during this time. We pray that you would bless the service today, um, and we just pray that you would let it serve as a reminder of our need for community and that we would just continue to place priority and value on our church family. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. Bye. See you soon. Sing this hymn with us. 
take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to Thee take my moments and my days let them flow in ceaseless praise let them flow in ceaseless praise Lord take my hands sing that take my hands and let them at the impulse of thy love take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee swift and beautiful for thee Lord take my life Take my life, take my all, Lord, let your will be done, Lord, let your will be done, take my continue to sing take my silver and my gold not of my wood I withhold take my together take my life sing it to the father this morning take my
assume I don't have a lot of hockey fans in front of me, given where we live in this part of the world. I've uh, been to more than a couple of professional hockey games in my life, and played uh, a number of pickup hockey games, lived in Canada for 10 years, still don't like hockey. Uh, so I'm not sure what the problem is there. What I am familiar with, though, in hockey is the penalty box. So you might be aware of that as well. That's the isolated place where a player is sent uh, when that player has done something not bad enough to get ejected but needs uh, some sort of punishment. It's just this isolated area where he spends some time until he can re-enter the game. It's also known as the sin bin. Now, I bring this up because I believe that God uses a penalty box for his people. That there is a sense in which God penalizes or puts us in an isolated place uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, what that looks like is a situation where we are delayed, where we're quarantined, where we're immobilized. It might be a health problem or a broken relationship, uh, the loss of income or uh, a global health crisis or any uh, a number of things that uh, might be a penalty box experience in our lives. Last week we, we began a series called Castaway. Uh, it's from the true story of Jonah in the Old Testament. Uh, we began last week in chapter 1 and there we saw... Uh, the Lord God give his prophet Jonah an assignment, uh, want to send him on mission, and Jonah rejected that, didn't want to go on the mission, and ran in the absolute opposite direction, trying to get away from the very presence of the Lord God. When uh, God sent a storm to stop him, Jonah tried to ignore that storm. Uh, in fact, Jonah was at the point where he would rather die than obey God. Uh, as we saw last week, Jonah was eventually thrown overboard and the storm ceased. The storm was calm. But of course, Jonah did not die. And chapter 1 ended with these words. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, just think for a moment, why did God provide a fish why not just let Jonah wash up on a shore somewhere, maybe on a deserted island, float on a piece of debris? It's because Jonah needed to spend time in the penalty box. There's a purpose for this fish that I want you to see this morning. It was God's way of, first of all, saving and then confining Jonah so that he might change. And from this, I think we can learn how and why God uses penalty box experiences in our lives as his people 
today. Now before we move into chapter 2, I want to reflect a little bit again on the great storm and the great fish that we saw in the previous chapter and what that tells us about God. It's a very simple thing I just want you to think about for a moment with me. That both of these things are evidence of God's control over chaos. God's control over chaos. So the Lord hurled this great storm and then he calmed it. The Lord provided this great fish and then he directed it. So no matter how bad our circumstances, God is still in charge. God is sovereign, as we heard earlier. Even in the worst experiences, God loves, God love rules. So in the battle with cancer, God's love rules. Even in the pain of a breakup, God's love rules. Despite systemic racism and peaceful protests and violent riots and good cops and bad cops, God's love rules. Chapter 2 begins this way. Verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. So Jonah finally prayed. I, I want to point out something to you that in this prayer, which is the most of what's included in chapter 2, makes up this prayer of Jonah, this prayer, short as it is, contains at least 20 quotes from the Psalms. So Jonah is using biblical words to describe his situation and need and cry out to God with it. And I think this is a great lesson in how to pray. It's certainly a lesson that I need. Uh, so uh, use God's own word to frame your prayers. Use Scripture to cry out to God. Let me give you an example. Most people, whether they go to church or not, are familiar to some extent with the 23rd Psalm. Just think of how you can use that Psalm to pray. Uh, this way, here's an example. Lord, I know you are my shepherd. Right now, I feel like a lost sheep. Right now, I feel like I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But, oh, Lord God, I cry out to you to protect me and guide me as you have promised to do. That's a way to use Scripture to speak to God. That's what Jonah does inside the belly of this fish. So as we look at this prayer, I want to point out to you three purposes for God's penalty box. Whatever that experience is in your life, three purposes that God can have in the penalty box. First of all, God puts us in a penalty box to change our perspective. Change our perspective. Notice verse 2. Jonah said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Now Jonah was running from God and the storm came. Jonah knew it was from God. Uh, but that wasn't enough to change his outlook. He wanted to get away from the very presence of God, even if it meant his death. Many scholars say that there are signs that Jonah was, just wanted to die throughout chapter 1. And then we have all the sailors scared to death in the storm, praying to all their many different gods, uh, and, and Jonah is fast asleep. Not even when the captain woke him up and said, you need to pray to your God too so we cover all the bases. Uh, not even then does it say Jonah prayed. No, he just said, throw me into the sea. Just throw me overboard. No, Jonah did not pray until he'd been inside the fish for a while. Only then did he turn to God. 
And I would imagine Jonah probably didn't even know exactly where he was. I mean, he went from sucking seawater into to some dark, hot, humid, smelly place, probably wondering what it was. And he describes it, well, in this translation it says the depths of the grave. It could be translated the womb of hell. And it took that womb of hell to change his perspective. And that's expressed in verse 4. He said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now the whole reason Jonah ran away is he wanted to get out of the sight of God. Get away from his presence. And it's only from inside the penalty box that he actually became willing to, to change that perspective. Willing to look toward God. Time inside. Seven. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So it took this near-death experience to get Jonah to change his outlook, his perspective. You know, it often takes a crisis to, to move us from religious talk to passionate prayer. So sometimes, God traps us. God troubles us. God wounds us to get our attention and to call us to turn our eyes. I think, like Saul, who was blinded on the road to Damascus. Like Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. Like Moses, who was stuck on the backside of the desert. Like Onesimus, who was imprisoned. The penalty box is a way that God gets our attention and changes our outlook and our worldview. And I believe that we are collectively in one right now. I think between the COVID-19 quarantine and high unemployment and peaceful protests and criminal rioting and hideous racism and abuses of power and lack of moral leadership, God is calling us to change our perspective. And I don't necessarily mean our country as much as I mean the church. In recent years, I have seen more and more examples of religious leaders siding with the, the powerful and the rich rather than the poor and the oppressed. And I've seen those calling themselves Christian fully aligning with one political party as if any party represents God's will on all issues, which it does not. And while I have not personally been silent about systemic racism and injustice, I have not done enough. Ten years or so ago when I when Trayvon Martin was killed, it was at a time I was pastoring a church that had now grown into a mega church and had just been recognized as one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. And when that Trayvon Martin killing, and George Zimmerman's trial and so forth was going on, I, I published an article. And I did some speaking. And, and as a result of that, a couple that I knew, uh, two university professors, they were married to each other, Bob, the, Bob was African-American, and he wanted to talk with me about what I had published, what I had said publicly. 
while affirming some of it, that he was trying to help me understand that, that I just didn't get it fully. So here are two PhDs trying to talk with me to help me understand my perspective. And one of the things, and he had, they had a, a, a son, a young teenager. Our youngest was a teen at that time as well. And Bob tried to help me see that he had to say things to his son that I would never have to say to any of my children. That he had to tell him how to be so careful when he went to the playground, when he rode his bike in the street, when he went to the mall with his friends, what he could wear and couldn't wear. And as I, at that time, teaching my daughter how to drive, told me that when I teach my son how to drive, I'm going to have to tell him things you will never tell your daughter. He's trying to help me change my perspective, and it, and it was a difficult thing to do, and I wish I had listened better. New Testament professor Dennis Edwards says that white America has not demonstrated the collective resolve to repent, rebuke, and reorient itself against racial injustice. And I think that what we are experiencing now is an opportunity from God to change our perspective. That's one of the lessons of the penalty box. To take our eyes from wherever they are, to turn them in a direction that God would have us do, and to do something about that. That's the first purpose I see here. Here's the second purpose in the penalty box, and that is that God puts us in a penalty box to save us from something worse. Now, if you look through this story carefully, you realize that the entire first couple of chapters, Jonah is constantly descending. He keeps going farther and farther down, farther and farther away from God. The Hebrew verb yarad shows that Joseph, uh, uh, Jonah rather, went down to Joppa. He went down to the ship. He went down into the ship's hold. Then he lay down in a deep sleep. And after the sailors had prayed and said, this is what we should do, and decided to throw Jonah into the sea, God said, you want to go down, Jonah? I'll take you down. Notice how Jonah describes it as he's reflecting back on his prayer to God. He says in verse 3, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swelled swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. So I, I want you to appreciate that the fish did not swallow Jonah immediately. You see that very clearly in this prayer as we go on. Now the sailors threw him into the ocean and he started to drown. Jonah was sucked underwater into the darkness of this raging sea and it got worse. Verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. So there we have a, a pretty vivid description of drowning. Jonah is as good as dead. But still he's taken farther down. There, there's that verb yarad again. He goes down to the bottom. And it's there at this lowest point that God rescues him, sends this fish, right time, right place. 
And so Jonah's no longer drowning, and suddenly he's able to catch his breath, but, but he finds himself in a stinking, claustrophobic, watery grave. I'm guessing on that. Never been inside a fish. Pretty sure that's what it would be like. Probably did not seem like a better place. The penalty box seldom does. But it kept Jonah from drowning. It allowed him the opportunity to turn back to God. And that's the purpose of the penalty box. Let me ask this question. What if this time of unrest, upheaval, and pandemic was to keep the church from continuing down the wrong path? And you can take that individually as well. But I'm thinking collectively as the church of Jesus Christ in this country. I've been despairing over the American church for years. Churches have traded the gospel for political influence. Christians have conflated the good news with the American way. They've wrapped the cross in the flag. They've confused God's blessing with financial prosperity. They've turned a blind eye to injustice and systemic racism. What if God's plan was to give the church the opportunity to turn from being self-focused to outward-focused? To turn from pleasing ourselves to serving others? Uh, What what if this was a call to, to, to get us to stop entertaining consumers and start making disciples? What if this was the push to forcefully reject the prosperity gospel, which is a complete lie, and to embrace the pure gospel and fight for the pure gospel? 150 years ago, more than that, Frederick Douglass said this, between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. How has that not gotten better in 150 years? It has not. The widest possible difference between the Christianity of Christ and the Christianity of this land. Because what is worse than failing to present the truth about Jesus and the clarity of the gospel? Jonah referenced the belly of hell. The real belly of hell is eternal separation from God. And the only solution for that is to trust in the one and only sacrifice of Christ on the cross. His sacrificial death, only in putting complete trust in Christ, is forgiveness and entrance into God's family possible. So in this time of frustration and isolation and unrest and distress, this is a call to declare with power that salvation is in Christ alone. And through trauma, God invites us to strip away the additives that, that make that message less than it should be. Here's a third purpose. That God puts us in the penalty box to bring us to the place of usefulness. Bring us to a place of usefulness. Notice uh, Jonah, as he concludes his prayer, says some interesting things. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. So uh, you need to appreciate a few things with me here. That it's after this time in the penalty box, Jonah's finally ready to obey. I mean, God wanted him to go to Nineveh to preach a, a call them to repentance. Jonah hated 
Nineveh. He hated the Assyrian people. They were enemies. He didn't want anything to do with them. He certainly didn't want to call them to repentance. Jonah let his personal agenda keep him from obeying God. You say, well, why does he talk about idols here? Well, let, realize Jonah began to recognize the idols in his life, and his idols were selfishness and prejudice. I think those are pretty familiar idols to us today. Selfishness and prejudice. Jonah valued his own opinion over God's. Jonah valued his own self over other people, the people that God loved. And so let, let me challenge you that anything we trust or cherish above God is an idol. Whatever that is, attitude, things, people, anything we cherish, trust, value above God is an idol. Martin Luther, the, the great theologian, said, whatever you give your heart, that is really your God. So, so wherever your heart, that's your God. That's what you worship. And as long as you and I insist on going our own way, that's an idol. And Jonah finally realized this, and he's ready now and willing to serve the Lord. See, it's our very nature, our sinful nature, to squirm away from God and what God wants us to do and to be. And so often God will hold us down or lock us into a penalty box where we have a chance to submit again. See, God won't force us. God graciously gives us opportunities. That's what this was for Jonah. That's what happens in our lives, I believe. And when Jonah does change his perspective and understand God's place in this and cast away his idols, God lets him out. Last verse of the chapter. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. So three days and nights in the fish had done its job. It wasn't pretty. He's vomited back up, one of my favorite verses when I was a kid. And the penalty box can have lingering effects. Now, some scholars have said, surely the stomach acids of the fish must have turned Jonah's skin to a chalky white, um, a shocking appearance. I, I don't know if that's true, but regardless, I'm sure he needs a shower. And, and more importantly... Jonah is now ready to carry out God's mission. Some have said that, this, that does, although the Bible doesn't say where it, uh, Jonah was spit up on the land, some have said it's on the road to Nineveh. That's entirely possible. But regardless of how close it was, Jonah's now ready to do what God, God called him to do. His heart was softened. Penalty boxes don't always soften our hearts. They don't often do what God wants them to do in us because... We reject it. Some of you may recognize that you've reacted to a penalty box by becoming bitter, angry, refusing to change. I just plead with you as I say to myself, don't waste your time in the penalty box. Know that God has a purpose for it. God is at work in this. Romans 8 assures us that, that God is at work conforming us to the image of His Son. That's what God is doing. And I love 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ with ever-increasing glory. That's what God is, a, is doing. In and through all things, shaping us to be more like His Son. Your, your confinement, your time in the penalty box might be a financial setback. God's ultimate goal is for your good and His glory and to shape you into Christ-likeness. 
And so there's a purpose for your penalty box experience. Let me just put it this way. That your confinement is God working to make you more like Jesus. I can't define that confinement, whatever it might be or not be. In your, but it's God at work to make you more like Christ. It's your chance to turn from idols and worship Him, to get your priorities in order, to change your outlook, to put your eyes on Him, to move you to repent of selfishness and to trust God alone. It's about 30 years ago now that I met Michael Andrus in one of my doctoral classes at Trinity University. And Michael shared his story and uh, said that I could share it, which I have many times over the years. Let me tell you what happened to Michael about a year before I met him. He said this. One night as I was returning home from a prayer meeting, a horse jumped over a fence right into the windshield of my car. It was very dark and the horse was black, so I never saw him car behind me said I never even put my brake lights on. The impact of the horse peeled off the roof of my car and we ended up in a ditch. The horse was on top of my right side and the car was upside down on top of both of us. The horse was killed instantly. Fortunately, I wasn't. The paramedics saw so much blood in the ditch they expected a car full of dead people. When they peered in the windows, they were amazed to see a horse. Fortunately, most of the blood belonged to him. It took nearly an hour to get me out of the car. I spent most of that night in the emergency room as they treated my broken hand, broken wrist, broken shoulder, broken ribs, fractured skull, numerous lacerations and bruises. After just four days, our insurance company said I was able to go home. It was six months before I could return to a full-time ministry schedule. I have not, however, returned to the schedule I kept before the accident, and I never will. You see, I was a driven person who enjoyed my work immensely, but didn't always have my priorities in order. I was the pastor of a rapidly growing church. I was on a number of boards and committees. I was writing my doctoral dissertation. I was traveling around speaking. And there may be a few men who can be that busy and still be good husbands and fathers, but not many. The result was that I had a very average marriage. We loved each other, but we were not in love with each other. My two boys didn't seem to mind when I was gone out of town. All that has changed. The past year has been by far the greatest year of our marriage. My wife would tell you today she's happier than she's ever been in her life. My relationship with my boys has improved significantly. My congregation would tell you my ministry has matured considerably. The suffering I endured changed my character. God got my attention through that accident. By all rights, I shouldn't have survived it, but God wasn't through with me yet. Pain, C.S. Lewis wrote, is God's megaphone to get our attention, and he got mine. But what God taught me about myself wasn't as important as what he taught me about himself. While the paramedics were trying to extricate me from the car, they asked where I'd been. I told them I'd been at a prayer meeting. Then they asked, have you been drinking? My answer was, no, there's not much to drink at a prayer meeting. I thank God this accident happened on the way home from a prayer meeting and not on the way home from a bar. I thank God I was alone and not with someone I was having an affair with. Imagine the increased pain to my family and the damage to the church had there been other issues to explain. Well, there weren't. And by God's grace, there never will be. Over the years, I've learned that obedience to God is not only what pleases Him, it's also what makes life worth living. 
That's a penalty box experience that God had purpose in. I don't know what God is doing in your life right now, but I do know that He is at work to conform you more into the image of His Son, Jesus. However, He is accomplishing that. It might be a penalty box, but surely do not waste this time. Right now, I want to invite you to pray with me that, that we would spend a, a, just a few moments quietly before the Lord as God leads you to pray. Let, let me give you some subjects over which to pray. First, I would encourage you, we'll take the, these first 30 seconds or so just to admit your sin to God, just between you and God, quietly in your heart, because as First John tells us, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. In other words, we're liars. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. So whatever that sin that might be on your heart right now, will you just take a moment along with me and confess that quietly to the Lord right now? And next, I would invite you to ask God's help so that you will hear what he is saying to you. This has been my constant prayer over these last few months. Lord, I don't want to miss what you're saying in this time to me, to us. Uh, This is a, a repeated warning in Scripture, not simply to Israel, but to the people of God today. It says, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Which is sometimes what happens when we're tested. We harden our hearts. So right now, would you just ask God to help you hear what he wants to say? then would you just take these last few seconds and pray that you would fulfill his mission for your life. If you were in Christ, you were once in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And what does that light look like, Ephesians 5 says? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Will you go out in the power of Christ by the Holy Spirit and be goodness, righteousness, and truth in your world? Would you just take a moment and ask God to help you do that? And then finally, I invite you to stand right now as we come to the conclusion of this service. And would you pray aloud with me this brief prayer to the Lord? Pray with me. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you 
You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are the source of every good and perfect gift. Empower us to be agents of blessing to our world. To your name be the glory forever. Amen. Can we stand together and sing together the words of number 6, verses 24 to 26. Receive this blessing from the Lord. Sing this scripture passage together. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Let's join together and sing that verse again.
and a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children and their children may fail and be upon you in a thousand generations in your family and your children and their children may his presence may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you over us. I want to give you another one in just a moment, but just to remind you that I'll be here at the end of the service if you'd like to speak with me or ask for prayer, and I'll certainly be glad to do that today. Receive this word of the Lord from Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go in peace. God bless you.